people focus on the material side of Valentine's Day, getting flowers and chocolates and stuff like that. I think the best gift is something in writing. When someone expresses, you know, you mean a lot to me uh, and, and what a person means. Because you have to sit and you have to really put some thought into that. Mm, what a great idea. You know, we could have a whole discussion just about the lost art of writing down your feelings and sending those off in a card or a note or a letter. Uh, and maybe we'll do that sometime down the road. But today we're going to talk about love and how we express it, when we express it, what builds it up, and what tears it down. Sex is a gift from God. It's an expression of love between two people, um, and it's also an expression of their commitment to one another. They're, they're totally becoming one in a physical and emotional and spiritual way. In the popular culture, we've taken this gift of sexuality and we've cheapened it. It's all over the place in movies, it's in, in billboards, it's in all kinds of places. And instead of being a special, holy, beautiful thing, it's becoming um, something that's misunderstood, something that's cheap, something even that you could say is dirty, the way it's, it's depicted in Western culture. Welcome to another weekly edition of Come Receive the Light from the Orthodox Christian Network and a timely conversation about love. I'm Mike Trout, and our regular host is ministry founder, Father Christopher Metropolis, the president of Hellenic College, Holy Cross Orthodox School of Theology in Brookline, Massachusetts. If you're looking for a college for your son or daughter, which offers a challenging academic environment, enriched by cultural opportunities in Boston and abroad, Hellenic College offers a distinctive pedagogy, I love that word, that integrates faith education, and service for a transformative educational experience. You can find out more on their website at hchc.edu. That's hc.hc.edu. We'll also have a link to that uh, website on our ministry website at myocn.net. That's myocn.net. Again, you're listening to Come Receive the Light, and our guest interviewer this week is one of the students at Hellenic College and a member of the OCN Media Lab on campus, Bryce Buffenbarger. February, of course, is the month in which we celebrate Valentine's Day, which makes us think about love. With us today to talk about young love is Father Stavros Akrotirianakis, who is the director of St. Stephen's Summer Camp for the Metropolis of Atlanta and the pastor of St. John Greek Orthodox Church in Tampa, Florida. Welcome, Father Stavros. Hi, nice to be with you guys again. I'm sure the topic of love has come up several times in your quite lengthy experience working with youth. How do you usually address this topic when talking to teens? Well, the Bible says uh, love is patient and love is kind. But in, in real life, love is complicated. There are many ways to talk about love. And one of the first things I, I mentioned when talking about love is that the word love in English is really not used appropriately. And what I mean by that is that the same word love I use to say I love my wife or I love my son, I use it to say I love pizza. And, um, and so it takes the meaning of love and, and almost devalues it. You know, in the Greek language, there are different words for love, and so the, the, the kind of love that I would have for my wife or my son or my mom would be agape love, the kind of love where you, where you 
alter the course of your life for someone. You're willing to die for someone. I don't, I don't have that kind of love for a pizza. And so there are different, there are different kinds of love and uh, different ways that we express love. Now, the, the campers you're working with are in their teenage years, and, and that can be a time where people are falling in love and they're, and they're experiencing these emotions in a new way and in a very intense way and, and want to act out out of that intensity but can't right now? Um, I think that uh, any kind of a relationship, and whether it's a friendship or uh, a boyfriend-girlfriend or eventually a husband and wife, um, all, all relationships are built. And a lot of people are not, when they, when they say that you know, love is patient, well, in order to, to achieve love, it takes some patience. And there, is a, there are really some stages in relationship building that everyone of every age struggles to understand, but especially teens who are just um, trying to figure out what love is. Mm-hmm. So before a, a person can be in love or experience love in a relationship, there are, there are things that precede that. And the most basic building block of a, of a human relationship is respect. If I didn't know you at all and we sat down in my office, uh, total strangers, you're guaranteed that I wouldn't physically harm you or, or verbally berate you. Mm-hmm. So your, your safety is, is covered first and foremost. So in any relationship, there has to be respect. If there is, um, you know, bad language or, um, you know, physical abuse in a relationship, there's, there's no love there because there's no respect there. So the first thing you have to have in any relationship is respect. Um, after that, you look for something in common, something to talk about. People who have nothing in common don't have good relationships because they share nothing in common. They don't have things to talk about. They don't have common interests that will um, fill their time together. So you work on things that you have in common. Once you have that, then the things in common lead to communication. Then the root of communication, of course, is common. Um, And once you have good communication, you're able to be honest. Uh, You're able to share on a a deeper level your thoughts, your feelings, and and there builds trust. And from trust comes love. Mm -hmm. And in order to have love, um, there are a couple things that you need to have. And again, this this is for boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, and even good friends, um, you've got to have some joy. There, you can't have love and misery, so you've got to have some joy. Um, love involves sacrifice. Love involves taking from, from yourself and, and putting on to someone else. So I take my time and I give it to you, or I take something that I'm having and I'm giving it to you. Um, you can't love yourself because that's a conflict of interest. You can respect yourself, you can have confidence in yourself, but love is taking something off from you and, and putting it to someone else. Um, and then the other thing you need to have in order to have love is vulnerability. Um, if, if relationships remain on a level of, hi, how are you, I'm fine, how are you, thank you, um, love never exists. In order right. to have love, a person has to say, hi, how are you, I'm not doing so well today, um, I care, let's talk about it. Um, and once someone shows vulnerability and, and is willing to minister to someone else's vulnerability, then you have the, the seeds of love being planted. Now, some of these things require a lot of maturity, and and that's not something that all of us have, whether we be in high school or, you know, are 13 or we're 31. 
So what is the purpose of dating in general, and especially for teens to be dating? Okay, um, great question. And, you know, of course, there's a whole argument about when dating should start. Mm -hmm. Um, The purpose of dating is to to find a a baseline of what we're looking for in a relationship. Um, And and the other thing um, is to learn some, some social skills that are needed in order to have a long-term relationship with someone. So you learn things like being committed to somebody, talking to them uh, frequently, conflict management, how to confront somebody when they do something wrong, how to work through a misunderstanding. I mean, these are great skills that you need in order to have a successful marriage, and so dating is a place where we learn how to do those things. So to to date in order to learn some, some skills and to figure out what you're looking for you know, that can be helpful. The, the problem is that there are other challenges that come with, with dating uh, that make it very complicated when you start at too early of an age. Sure. I mean, one of those challenges being that in the dating relationship, you're forming this deep emotional connection. And with that emotional connection, there's the desire for a deeper level of physical connections. How do you encourage teens to wait until they're married to experience sexual relationships? This is a very, very complicated question. Um, and, it's, and it's made complicated um, by our, our now more lengthy lifespan. Um, centuries ago, and especially when the Bible was written, I mean, the average lifespan was probably in the early 40s. Mm-hmm. And people get, were getting married, you know, when they were still teenagers, 15, 16 years old. And to this day, you know, the the human being is sexually mature in terms of the desire to have sexual relations when they're 14, 15, 16 years old. And so in centuries past, the interval of time between being ready and, and being able to do that in the context of marriage was just a couple of years, if that. Um, and now with people getting married in their, in their mid to late 20s, even in their 30s, you've got a 15-year gap. Um, that wasn't there before. And so this is, this is um, creating a really big challenge. So there are, there are three dimensions to a sexual relationship. One is a physical dimension, one is an emotional dimension, and one is a spiritual dimension. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the deepest form of, of love I- includes all of these things. And so if you're having sexual relations outside the context of marriage, um, there's nothing spiritual there. Hmm. Now, backtracking for just a minute, um, sex is a gift from God. It's an expression of love between two people, um, and it's also an expression of their commitment to one another. They're, they're totally becoming one in a physical and emotional and spiritual way. And the byproduct of, of sexuality, of course, is, is childbearing, um, although that's not the primary uh, focus. The primary focus is on uh, a husband and wife expressing their love for each other. In the popular culture, we've taken this gift of sexuality and we've ruined it. We've, we've cheapened it. It's all over the place in movies, it's in, in billboards, it's in all kinds of places. And instead of being a special, holy, beautiful thing, it's becoming um, something that's misunderstood, something that's cheap, something even that you could say is dirty, the way it's, it's depicted in Western culture, especially mm-hmm. in the movies, Hollywood. Um, and, and it's made even more complicated by um, television sitcoms 
where they show people or movies where people meet and in very short order um, they're sexually active. Right. I mean, even if you watch a two-hour movie and the movie implies it takes, you know, a month or something for sexual relations to occur, well, in, in the span of your life, it's happening in, in less than a two-hour movie. Mm-hmm. And so it it makes, it paints the, the picture that this is something that has to move very quickly. So going back to the, the, the uh, dimensions of this, outside of marriage, there is no spiritual dimension. And in a in a relationship where there's no real commitment, there's no emotional dimension either. And and one of the things that's very disturbing in talking to young people is is that um, I could understand if um, somebody was dating for a year and they said, well, I, I feel like I want to have sexual relations. I'm in love with the person I'm dating. Mm-hmm. That's not morally right, and please uh, don't misinterpret. It's not morally right to do that. The church says we should refrain from sexual relations until we're married. Um, but at least it's biologically normal. Mm-hmm. What is what is disturbing are people who, who meet somebody at a party and before the evening is over or before they know the person's last name, they're engaged in some kind of a sexual contact with them because there's that's not biologically normal. Biologically right. and physiologically, it, it takes time for that to develop. And uh, mm-hmm. so we're, we're really not only sitting against God but against our own nature when we're jumping into that. And so what I try to teach young people is that um, that being sexually active is sort of the, the crowning jewel in a relationship. It's not it's not a means to an end. It's not a means to marriage. It's it's the mm-hmm. end. You get married and then you do that. Mm-hmm. And and prior to getting married, you you learn how to have a, a deep emotional connection. Um, you learn to have intimacy, and um, that's another word that's misunderstood. Most people put intimacy and sex together. You know, intimacy is a a complete accepting of another person. You can have an intimate conversation. You can have, um, you know, intimate emotions that have nothing to that that don't include sexuality. Um, on, on the other hand, you have people who have have sex and then they have no sense of intimacy because it's done for convenience or or whatever. But there's no there's no intimacy there, and intimacy is really what everybody wants. Um, intimacy, affirmation. They need, people want to feel accepted and and loved and cherished as they are. I'm here with Father Stavros Akrotirianakis, and we're talking about young love. Father Stavros, with all of these concerns that arise from entering into a relationship at a young age, do you offer teenagers any cautions against falling in love at all while they're in high school? Well, that's a that's a challenging question because there seems to be so much pressure on them to to have right. a boyfriend or girlfriend or be in love and if someone's not in love, you know, people look at them as there's like, something wrong with them. And uh I tell people, you know, in order to to be in love, in order to ex- express love with someone, you have to be able to give up something. You have to show some kind of vulnerability and some kind of sacrifice. All right. And so if you're 15 years old or 16 years old, what are you going to give up for a boyfriend or girlfriend? Are you going to give up living at home? three free meals a day, you're going to give up high school for them. Um, there really isn't that much to give up. But again, when you're an adult, um, you know, if I needed to move for my wife, I could, I could do that. I have a job. I could go get another job. If we needed to move houses, there's equity, and you could go get another house. You know, there are things to give up. But what do you have to give up 
um, when you're so young. Mm-hmm. Really falling in love is, is uh, saying that I'm willing to change the course of my life for you. And that's really not an honest statement someone can make when they're 15 or 16. You know, you can make that when you're uh, nearing the end of college, you know, and, you're, and your training for adult life is over. That's when your window really for marriage is opening. And, and so if you're going to date, let's say your, your window for marriage opens when you're 22, 23, 24, and you're already dating at 15 or 16, then you have to wonder, you know, how are you going to stay morally intact for six or seven years without falling prey to temptation? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and the odds are you won't. That's why it's, it's good to, to put off the dating until you're closer to that window opening, until you're 19 or 20 or 21 and you're you're closer to that window opening because then you can date and marry in the way that God intended for us to do that. And when you start dating and you have, you know, many boyfriends and girlfriends, you know, then you you're mar- you are you date, you fall in love, then your then your heart gets broken. Then you then you date, you fall in love, your heart gets broken. Mm-hmm. And you go through that exercise, you know, 10, 12 times. Well, you're going to be so used to having your your heart broken that you know it might be like calloused. So that mm-hmm. you know, when you actually meet someone, you're like, well, I'm I'm kind of guarded. I don't, I've had my heart broken twelve times. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I want to give myself completely to anybody. Right. Do you have advice for those people who haven't waited, who have been in sexual relationships, and and now are trying to heal from that, and then enter into marriage? You know, obviously, the ideal is to wait until you're married in order to have sexual relations. Um, if a person has entered into inappropriate sexual relations, first there's a sin against God. And so you go and see your spiritual father and go to confession and um, and repent of that. And then everything becomes fine between you and God. That's why we have the sacrament of confession. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and, and most of the sins that we confess, as the priest says, have no further anxiety about them, go in peace. Um, that works for just about every sin but the sexual sin. And the reason for that is that, you know, when a person is dating seriously and is going to get married, the person they're dating is going to say, I need to know how many before me. Right. That's a, that is a realistic question that everyone is going to have to answer. And so before you're getting married, you're creating a, kind of a, a record of your life that you're going to share with the person that you're going to get married to. Um, and so if you are in over your head or you've, you've done things that you shouldn't have done, the best advice is stop doing them and live appropriately um, from, a, from a practical level. Let's say that a person has done something inappropriate and they're 16, and then they stop and they are, and they are appropriate until they meet someone when they're 25. And then the, at 25 they say, you know, I did something inappropriate at 16. I hope that you can forgive and overlook that. And mm-hmm. you would think that, Christianity and forgiveness would would allow that to be overlooked. But let's say another person has dated, you know, one person a year for 10 years and has been sexually active with 10 people in 10 years. Mm -hmm. Well, when they bring that up, you know, the the person they're dating is going to say, well, if you had 10 people in 10 years, how can I trust that you're going to have one for 50 years? Because you've created a a pattern uh, that that doesn't really seem congruent with that idea. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, to, to, to put it very simply, one of the things that I, that I tell teens is I write down um, two unequal fractions. I write down 25 over 10 does not equal 1 over 50. And I tell them that the bottom number, and, and if you're listening at home, write down 25 over 10 
does not equal 1 over 50. And the bottom number represents years, and the top number represents number of sexual partners. And so the right side of that equation, one partner for 50 years, that represents the ideal marriage. Mm -hmm. And the left side of the equation represents what are you doing in the 10 years before you get married? You know, and if that number is 5 or 10 or 15 or whatever it is, you're really setting yourself up for a failed marriage. I mean, marriage is about commitment and commitment to one person. And if you have 10 years of jumping commitments, how, it, you know, how does one person in a, in a practical way say, I make a commitment to one person for the rest of my life? The, the fact is they don't. And the seeds of, of failure for marriage are really set before people get married based on what they're doing sexually. And that's, and that's, I tell kids, that's not theology and it's not in the Bible. It's, it's common sense and basic math. Mm-hmm. If you're setting yourself up in a certain way, you're not going to get that ideal. You know, and the other thing that I, another thing that I teach people is that, um, you know, marriages are built around faith in God and intimacy with one another. And sexual relations are not always possible in marriage. Again, when someone is sick, uh, if someone has a high-risk pregnancy, I mean, there are there are a multitude of reasons and occasions when that's not possible. And if sexual relations is the cornerstone of your relationship, your relationship's not going to succeed. Mm-hmm. Um, because what happens when that's not when that's not possible? You know, you already have the discipline of waiting, so then it doesn't become as big of a deal to wait. The foundation of any relationship, ideally, is Christ, who gives us the patience and the being able to 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 struggle and, and to succeed. There's a there's a couple mistakes that that people make when they're young and in love. Lots of times when people have a first boyfriend or girlfriend, they fall in in love with the idea of being in love and having somebody. Mm-hmm. And there are many instances where people stay in a relationship that they know is not right just because they're afraid of not having anybody. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I caution people if you're dating and you're 15 or 16 and it's not going well, the odds are you're not going to marry that person anyway. Um, and another thing that, that happens in in uh, relationships is that people are not honest. You know, Jesus says, the truth shall set you free. And so if, if, a, if a person doesn't have honesty in the relationship, it's not going to work. So, and, and where are people dishonest? Um, lots of times people pressure people to do things, and people go along with that out of fear, well, I mean, where there's where there's fear, there can't be love. In the, in the Epistle of John, it says there's no fear in love. Perfect love casts out all fear. So if if someone is pushing, pressuring, manipulating, and, and causing fear and anxiety, well, then there's no love there. And and the other thing is that if there's no honesty, if you have to sneak out of your house to be with your boyfriend or girlfriend, and you're lying to your parents about where you are and what you're doing, you're not building a loving relationship either. So, again, if the cornerstone is, is Christ and, and things like honesty um, and, and love and compassion and patience, then, you're have, then you have a good relationship. Well, Father Stavros, thank you for diving into this very important and deep topic with us. Before we let you go, as I mentioned earlier, this is February, the month where we celebrate Valentine's Day. What, in your opinion, is the most appropriate gift for Valentine's Day? You know, the gift that I like receiving most, and I guess everybody is different, um, people focus on the material side of Valentine's Day, getting flowers and chocolates mm-hmm. and stuff like that. I think the best gift is 
something in writing when someone expresses, you know, you mean a lot to me uh, and, and what a person means because you have to sit and you have to really put some thought into that. If you're looking for something to give that will be, be meaningful uh, and it's even harder to give uh, than spending a few dollars on flowers is to be able to express uh, your feelings for somebody else and express feelings of gratitude for them. That's the best yeah. gift of all. Excellent. Well, Father Stavros, thank you so much for being with us today. Absolutely. God bless you. Thanks for having me. And thanks as well to Bryce with our OCN Media Lab on the campus of Hellenic College for handling the interview chores. If you'd like to share this interview with someone else, simply direct them to our website at myocn.net. That's myocn.net. Click on the Listen button on the homepage and then select Come Receive the Light, or CRTL. Thank you for joining us today, wherever you are in the world. I know you have a lot of things pulling on your time, and it's an honor to be a part of your day, or night. (laughs) Next week on Come Receive the Light, a conversation about Orthodox worship. The original tipikon, and some who are not Orthodox Christians, will not be familiar with that word tipikon, or that order of services. But the original was written in Greek by George Violakis, uh, the head chanter or the Protopsalti of the Patriarchate of Constantinople. Yes. Uh, why is that book so important to us then? Because this was the, uh, after the liberation of Greece uh, from uh, the Ottoman Empire, it's the first time that the church finally got together to create this uh, authoritative document to outline and to stipulate the order of all the services. That's next time on Come Receive the Light, and I hope you can join us. In the meantime, remember to always have faith in what you listen to.